This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to Breaking Pod. This is season three, episode 13. We are wrapping up season three today. Josh is on the other line joining me. Josh, how are you? Are you ready to finish out season three here? I am ready, and I can't believe we're already to the end of season three. You know, once we got back on our regular recording schedule, feels like we've just blazed through season three, which is nice because, you know, some of these episodes, we talked last week about half measures, and I mentioned on that episode that I just rolled right into full measures after I after I finished that one, and there's a reason they're sort of uh, paired at the at the hip, you know, here, but but it is one of those uh, things where it's nice to be able to binge a couple of these when when the uh, episode calls for it. You know, I, compl- you? I completely agree. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, but I completely agree with you. I uh, will also confess that at the end of Full Measures, this episode, I actually streamed right into season four, episode one. And uh, yeah, I didn't watch. Cutter. Yeah, I didn't watch all of Box Cutter, which we'll talk about uh, next week. But uh you know, I really admire Vince Gilligan and his creative team for ending season three on such a, uh, I don't even know if I, well, I mean, I guess it is in some ways a cliffhanger, but in other ways it is just, it is just a way to open up a new segment of the show in, in such a, mm-hmm. a powerful and strong way. So I think they did a really good job and I, I definitely went right into season four, episode one, just to, just to kind of finish out the, the tension there. So, um, it is good. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, it also kind of ties a bow on, uh, on a whole season of Breaking Bad in a, I think surprisingly neat way um, for for a show like this. Uh, this is not. This is certainly not a soap opera. This is a kind of morality play drama, and it does feel like this episode kind of closes the curtain, right? End scene on a major portion of the show's character development, and then sets us up for more of that in season four. So, lots going on here to talk about. Should we dive into the two minute summary, Josh? Yeah, let's do that. But but before we do that, I just want to ask you one question. Now that we've finished season three, where does this where does this season rank for you? Is it better than season two? Better than season one? Where does this one fall? If you had to, if you had to just quickly power rank the first three seasons we've seen, is this number one? Number two? Number three? I think this is number one. Um, I say that because we've seen a number one. It's exciting, right? I mean, exciting excitement is not the number one criterion, so that's not the top reason why it's number one for me. But that's that's an important thing, I think, for for just you know propelling storyline. I like the slowness of season one, and I like doubly how season three is very exciting, but also has these slower episodes, like we've talked about, uh, most especially the fly, um, or just fly. Uh, because it does sort of it, it, it sort of navigates these waters. It it, car- it carries the characteristic slow sequences of Breaking Bad and intersperses them with the the exciting action that we also enjoy in the show. Um, two, there's a lot of character development that happens in the season, and I really like that. And it, it, it I think it it follows in season two's footsteps in that way because we had a lot of character development in season two, but we had we had um, maybe less of a sort of cohesive like self propelling narrative in season two. And then season one, I like as a setup season, but I also think the show was really trying to find its groove there, which is why, as we've talked about, a lot of people who watch this show watch season one or even just the first few, the first few episodes of season one and just it, it kind of flames out because they lose interest. It's not very exciting, et cetera. Um, so I would say season three, number one so far. How about you? Yeah, I, I would say it's probably number one, although, you know, there are things about season two that I like a lot. 
and and it makes a compelling case for my my favorite season so far. I think chief among them is the Jesse Jane storylines, which completely we agree. Get, yeah, we get we get much more. You know, like um, we get much more of a, a of a sad uh, sort of somber Jesse in the season because he's in mourning for a lot of it. You know, at least the first half. Uh, yeah, and also season two, we get the introduction of some major characters, and I think those the intro of someone like Saul Goodman and and Mike and even Gus, he comes in towards the end of that season. I think that those are it's hard to understate sort of the power of their introductions. I mean, obviously all of them have more to do in season three, but, um, but their introductions are are key and they're fun. And so I think season two, it's right up there, but I would say season three is, is slightly better. One other thing I'll mention that I really like about season three is that we don't just have this like tense stasis between Skylar, not knowing what Walt is up to and Walt needing to keep it a secret because we were just, we were sort of in that territory for maybe a bit too long in season two. And the problem with that, in my view, is that it, it doesn't allow for good character development and interaction because all of the interactions are the same, right? It's, it's the wife who doesn't trust the husband who's up to no good and just like rinse, rinse, repeat. In season three, uh, we get, some, we get some, uh, some forward movement on that or maybe backwards movement, depending on how you look at it. But there's IFT, which we talked about, lots of fireworks there. Uh, and then eventually we get to this point where Skylar is now actively lobbying Walt to let her help him launder money. Uh, uh, you know, a complete reversal from what we saw in season two. And so I like how we're, we're seeing a changing dynamic between Skylar and Walt that allows for more sort of character exploration and development to go on as well. And the thing that I'll say about Skylar finding out about Walt and what he does is that I think it's, it was ultimately kind of a risky move for the writers to do it relatively early in the show's run. I mean, obviously this ran for five seasons. I think they had an idea of sort of where it was going to end, but I don't know if you ever watched the show Dexter. Do you ever watch? Yeah. So I, I watched a lot of Dexter. I think I flamed out in like the last season, but yeah, I, I so watched a lot of it. Not to get too much into that, but the character of Dexter has a big secret that he's a, he's a serial killer and uh, characters find out about that throughout the show. But one of the main characters doesn't find out it's his sister. It doesn't find out till late in the show's run. But the problem with the way that they executed that in that show versus how Skylar finds out about Walt is that in Dexter, the character of Deb, his sister, finds out pretty much everything all at once. It's like an info dump. The, the great thing about what they do with Skylar in this show is that she only knows part of Walt's secret. She knows that he's a meth dealer or a meth manufacturer, but she doesn't know sort of the extent to which he's done certain things. I don't think she knows anything about crazy eight she doesn't know that he's been involved with the the death of tuco or you know any of these other characters or the sort of like depth that he is involved in these things and i think that that's a really key distinction when you're going to have a character learn something about another character you don't want to reveal everything at once because that shifts the dynamic too much and if skylar knew everything about walt she might be you like up in arms and out of there like there would be no plausible reason for her to stick around but she doesn't know that and i don't know i can't remember at this point how much she eventually learns but i think that's a key distinction that the writers were really smart in the way that they revealed information to skylar the character because it didn't completely drive her away it did temporarily but now we see her coming back and sort of rationalizing well i can be a part of this while not having to manufacture the meth myself yeah, and I think we can imagine from a human perspective how how, how much more um, attractive or at least how less unattractive something could look 
if we don't know all of the sordid details that go on behind the scenes. If you have, you know, I'm saying you, if Skyler has no personal experience with folks who have, you know, used or abused meth or seen firsthand the results of that type of abuse, if Skyler doesn't know, as she doesn't indeed, you know, that, that Walt is directly responsible for several deaths and indirectly responsible for many, many more, uh, that would change things a lot. So I think you're right. You know, not having the, the big data dump, the, the giant reveal, and having instead Skyler know sort of the general contours of what Walt's up to allows her to, um, I guess, you know, deceive herself and like justify her involvement to a degree that lets her stay in the show and, uh, and continue kind of being a contributing member to the various character development storylines we have. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I took us a little off, off course there, but I wanted to make sure I brought that up before we finish season three. So take us into the two minute summary. Yeah. All good. We'll, we'll make up some time here. Uh, I'll move us along. So here's the summary from Wikipedia. We'll give it a letter grade. After killing the drug dealers, Walt has a tense meeting with Gus, who makes it clear that his patience has reached its limit. Walt professes not to know the whereabouts of Jesse, who he falsely claims has fled the state. Gus chooses Walt's new assistant, who turns out to be Gail. In a meeting with Gail, Gus says that with his overhead, he cannot afford to lose even a week's production. Walt realizes Gus intends to replace him with Gail, the only other trained chemist, and that he will be killed once Gail masters Walt's procedure. After he is abducted by Gus's men, Walt calls Jesse and orders him to murder Gail, knowing that Gus will have to keep him, and by extension Jesse, alive once he is the only trained chemist left. Victor races to Gail's apartment to stop this, but Jesse arrives first, and after some hesitation, pulls his gun on Gail and fires. All right, Josh, what do we think here? Yeah, this is fine. This is very, very broad strokes. So uh, it's not terribly written, I don't think. But uh, I, w- I would give it a C, C plus, B minus. I don't know, C plus. I'll give it a C plus. Yeah, I'll go C plus. So a couple things jumped out of me here, Josh. Um, first of all, we have in the in the narr- in the narration here we have uh, the meeting with Gale. And the sentence says, "In a meeting with Gale, Gus says that with his overhead, he cannot afford to lose even a week's production." That conversation had a lot more than Gus just saying, we can't <laughs> yeah. lose a week's production. I mean, this, this is central, and maybe this is a good time to jump ahead to the best scene, Josh, because yeah. I, this, this is what your best scene nomination has to do with. So I'll cue it up for you, and then I'll play the audio whenever you're ready to go for that. Yeah, so this scene between Gus and, and Gail, the reason that I like it so much as a best scene for this episode is because we've seen lots of different sides of Gus up to this point but this is sort of him at I think one of his most devious he's like master manipulator here because the story he's spilling to Gail is that Walt's health is declining and that that uh, eventually Walt will be out of the picture and that he'll need Gail to take over and what he asks Gail is you know how long is it going to take you to to learn and he sort of you know initially Gail says I don't know like uh, five six more cooks but then Gus doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything. And there's a level of intimidation that is hard to hear from the little clip we're going to hear, but that you need to understand to know that despite his, his slight stature and sort of, you know, he's not a bulky man. He's not, he's not Tuco in the sense that he's, he's a macho alpha man, but at the same time, he, he, you know, expects and receives the same amount of respect and attention so we'll hear a little bit of their conversation here and you might you might be able to see that on display now i intend to keep walter on as long as he wants 
assuming he's physically up to it. But as he cannot or will not tell me how long that might be, I must prepare for the worst case scenario. A worst case scenario. Uh, I suppose if we had uh, at least a few more cooks together. You don't think you're ready now? Well, he is such a, a master. There's always more for me to learn. But I'm thinking that if we had, say, one or two more cooks, one more, I guess we'll do it, I suppose. I believe in you, Gail. Yeah, so you can just sort of hear, like, Gus doesn't push him. He doesn't say, like, you need to be ready now. He makes Gail come to that conclusion himself. And I just think that it's just such a powerful character moment for for Gus. He doesn't have to say anything for people to respect his position and to want to please him. And I, I do wonder a little bit if if Gail knew the plan to take out Walt, which is ultimately what this episode is leading towards. You know, Mike takes Walt to the, the lab to if, to try to kill him. I wonder if Gail would be okay with that or if he would sort of just turn the other way because you know gail's a little bit uh morally gray you know he has no problem cooking meth and i I just don't know where his sort of moral line is Uh, obviously gus thinks that if he told gail the truth he wouldn't be okay with that or he would just tell him you know he says oh you know walt's gonna die because he has cancer essentially and so i i don't know if you have a perspective on that if if you think that if gus is manipulating him by because he feels like he needs to or if he just feels like he can yeah yeah i I think it's a needs to thing i think my read on gus and we heard the we heard gus's sort of backstory of himself and when i heard the learned astronomer by walt whitman and all of that but my read on gus is that gus does not like i'm sorry my read on gail is that gail does not like to get his hands dirty so Gail can cook meth and is totally happy to cook meth, but does not want to do any of the dirty work. And you can see, I mean, his, uh, you know, in his apartment, he listens to classical music and he makes tea and he measures the temperature of the tea with a laser thermometer and everything is very precise and exactly as he wants it. And, you know, his, his apartment is tastefully furnished and all that. I think he doesn't want to be involved in any of the dirty stuff. And I think he wants to be able to convince himself at the end of the day that what he's doing is a honorable and respectable, respectable, uh, profession in some way. And so I think, I think Gus is going into this conversation thinking that he needs to kind of convince Gail that Walt is really dying of cancer. And that's why he might have to, might have to replace him. Um, but that's, that's my read on Gail. I don't know for sure. I mean, clearly Gail's moral compass is skewed by the very fact that he does what he does. But, but I think really what it is for him is a means of, of, you know, very generous income, uh, because that's what he tells Gus. He assumed Walt's motives were. When Gus said, do you know why he got into this? And Gail said, I just assumed it was money. Uh, and Gus says, you know, well, it is, but there's more than that, right? And so I take from that that that's also Gail's motivation. Um, and so, you know, that potentially implies that what he really wants to do is just make a generous, affluent, comfortable living and not see the dirty underbelly of what he's doing. 
Yeah, I think it also speaks to the, the character of Gus too in this scene because can you imagine a Tuco-like character trying to subtly convince, you know, Walt's lab assistant that he's, oh, you know, he's dying of cancer. It's very sad. He wanted to provide for his family. Like Tuco, Tuco would, the, the type of character that Tuco was, that just would never work. I, I don't think you would believe him in the same way that Gail might believe Gus here. You might be intimidated to believe him, but I don't think that you would believe him just because he seems like he might be telling the truth. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, let's go back to the two minute summary though here, because the last thing or the second thing I wanted to mention on this is the very last sentence. And this ties in with your nomination for best moment, Josh, um, which I will copycat and say is also my best moment. And I think we need to talk about this a little bit. Now, the summary says Victor races to Gail's apartment to stop this, but Jesse arrives first and after some hesitation, pulls his gun on Gail and fires. So I have two problems with this characterization. The first is that uh, Jesse does not pull the gun after some hesitation. The sentence says after some hesitation, pulls his gun on Gail. But actually what happens is Jesse arrives at the door, rings the doorbell, Gail answers. Jesse pulls the gun immediately and holds it up to Gail's head, right? So there's not hesitation there. The second thing is, um, you know, if there's hesitation, it's after the gun is pulled, before the trigger is pulled. And there's a lot of hesitation there, but I wouldn't even use the word hesitation. Hesitation is like, that's a word I use to describe when I'm standing in front of the vending machine trying to decide what type of chips I want, right? Yeah. That's hesitation. What we see here in this scene, and this is, I'm, I'm guessing why you chose best moment, but I'm curious to hear, this is why I chose best moment, uh, is that what we see from Aaron Paul as Jesse is this like heart rending, soul crushing, uh, you know, conflict within Jesse in which he's trying to like wrestle through all of these things. Does he kill Gail to save his friend slash father figure slash business partner, Walt, and potentially by extension himself? Or does he not do that and almost definitely? get killed and you know feel indirectly responsible for Walt's death and there's this there's a long long scene where he's just holding this gun hand trembling eyes you know tearing up uh where he's just totally overcome by this inability to make the decision for himself and it's a really really powerful scene uh that this summary just does not even even try to capture this is not just some hesitation this is something you know, very, very deep in the core of Jesse's being. This is, this is like, you know, one of the most momentous decisions his soul has ever made. Yeah, that's exactly why I chose this as my best moment. It is, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, uh, you know, like, I don't want to say this with too much confidence, but I, I think this is one of the most powerful moments in the whole show. And I say that because this is, a very clear inflection point for the character. There has never been a moment up to this point where essentially a character that we have come to care about has to kill someone basically in, in cold blood. Like at this, yes, I, th I think that we're going to talk about this a little bit. Yes, you could say it's in self-defense because perhaps and likely Walt and Jesse would be killed. So if he doesn't take the step then, you know, then they would be killed later. I mean, Walt is about to be killed anyway. But, you know, there has never been a moment where Jesse or Walt has to make the 
proactive step to go out and and kill someone. And I think that is a huge, huge turning point. And the acting that Aaron Paul does here is entirely wordless. He doesn't say a single word at the end of the episode, and yet it conveys everything you need it to convey. It's it's incredible. And I I this is you know there's a lot of I've, I watch a lot of TV shows. I watch a lot of different content. Very little sticks in my head. This scene has, I, I will never forget this moment. And I know exactly when it comes. I know it comes at the end of season three, episode 13. Like this is one of those moments, same, I think similar to Jane's death, watching Walt watch her die. These are moments that I just, they, I will never forget them from my mind for as long as my mind works properly. And I think that's, that's incredibly powerful for a TV show to be able to do that. Yeah, that's incredibly well said. I want to pick up on something you mentioned there about, you know, the the possible argument for self-defense that that one could plausibly make here, because, again, if Jesse doesn't kill Gail, he's probably going to die. Now, that's not the same thing as a self-defense argument. And there therein is the flaw of the argument. But I, but what I want to do is talk about Walt's transformation here, because my nomination for best scene is the one where Walt is being marched into the laundromat by Mike and by Victor um, because they're going to kill him. And so, you know, Victor picks him up outside of his house. They drive to the laundromat and it's very, very clear they're going to take him down to the lab, kill him, probably dispose of his body, you know, maybe maybe in um, what's that? What's the acid that that they. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, A vat of dissolve. chemicals. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what's going to happen. And, and Walt very well knows what's going on here. And the interesting thing here is the transformation. So. And this is kind of my broader thought and theme that I want to bring into this discussion of the final episode of the season anyway. We've been pondering this question about, you know, like, you know, the, the nature of man and specifically the nature of Walt or Walt's moral character. Is he a good man caught up by circumstances, made to do bad things, finds himself in a bad situation where he is broke and fighting cancer and can't provide for his family and so he has no choice but to turn to this, this world? Uh, or is he a is he a, you know like fundamentally flawed and corrupt man from the beginning, and he sets out on this path because he is that, and then he only becomes more so and more so as the show goes on, right? It, I, I think basically like to distill it, maybe is he always Heisenberg or does he become Heisenberg? Um, uh, you know, from a from a place of innocence, uh, and so I think this this season is interesting. It maybe doesn't or this episode it doesn't give us the answer to that question necessarily, but I think it gives us some hints. And one of the things I think is interesting is that Walt is still able to play innocent. And I say that because of this scene in the laundromat that I absolutely love. And I think Brian Cranston does a very good job. But I pulled two different segments of audio here to illustrate the Walt who's pretending to be Walter White and then the Walt who is Heisenberg. And as you're watching it as a viewer, I think you almost get fooled when, you, when you're seeing him plead for his life. And then the, the switch flips right after that. So here's the first part when they're marching him down in the laundromat. You don't have to do this. Yeah, unfortunately I do, Walter. Downstairs. I'll cook. I'll, I'll cook for free and there won't be any more trouble, I promise you. No. Okay, if I could just talk to Gus. No. I know I can make him understand, please. If no. I can talk to Gus, I can, I can convince him, okay? Just let me, please, please, please let me talk to him. Shut up. Shut up. And uh, you'll see him after that, you know, the waterworks come on, he starts to cry, he says he can give up Jesse, etc. Uh, and so he's acting very scared. 
And again, as a viewer, I think you kind of, you, you kind of, you know, get suckered by that. You're like, oh, the great, uh, the great Walter White is really fighting for his life and just clawing to do whatever he can, et cetera. But then, of course, Walt tricks Mike and Victor. They let him make the call to Jesse, and that's when he says, Jesse, go kill Gil, right? Uh, he doesn't say it in so many words uh, because Mike and Victor say, what was that about? And this is when Heisenberg arrives. Just what the hell was that exactly? You might want to hold off. Yeah? Why? Because your boss is going to need me. 6353 Juan Bo, apartment 6. Yeah. That, of course, is Gail's address. So he's telling them, you know, we're, uh, Jesse's on his way to kill Gail right now. And so the interesting thing is, we went, you know, in the span of 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds, we went from Walt being a blubbering mess to you might want to hold off because your boss is going to need me being very much more the man in control, the Heisenberg that that we have come to uh, come to come come more become more accustomed to seeing in this instance. And so the, the reason I like this episode is because or that scene specifically is because we think we're seeing the mild mannered Walt. What we're really seeing is a veneer that's masking the calculating cold blooded Heisenberg. And I think that factors into this conversation also about Jesse. I mean, you said that this is the first time someone's killed someone in cold blood. Um, but Jesse's motivations for doing this, I will not say they're good motivations. I will certainly not go that far. But what he's really trying to do is save Walt. Jesse has not been located by Mike and Gus. Um, he is safe for now. But Walt is literally in their hold and tells Jesse that they're going to kill him. So Jesse's doing this to save Walt. Now, that's not the same thing as self-defense. It's not even the same thing as defense of others because he's killing an innocent third party to prevent a, you know, another third party from killing the second party. Uh, so that's a different thing philosophically. But I'm not, I'm not convinced Jesse sees it that way. I think Jesse does kind of see it in the way that I just laid out for you. The, the thing for me here is that it's Walt who's giving the order. So it's Walt who's, who's calculating it's my life or Gail's, and he gives the order to kill Gail in cold blood. And that's why I think this is, this is so fascinating. And so, of course, you know, it's, it's Heisenberg who gets off scot-free in this, and Jesse who has to be the trigger man. Um, and there's actually, I think, a parallel here between Tomas, who's the trigger man killing Combo. Tomas is the 11-year-old kid who's just acting on the orders of the, the drug dealers who are very much taking advantage of him. So we have a parallel there. Gus's henchmen versus Tomas and Walt versus Jesse. Um, but ultimately, it's this whole sequence illustrates Walt's evil, uh, the depth of evil in Walt's heart. What do you think, Josh? Okay, so I have a couple thoughts about what you said. I think mostly I agree with what you're saying. I think the one, the, the first area that I might have a slight disagreement with is I do think that there is, there is more than a 75% chance that Walt is actually incredibly frightened when he's first brought by by Mike and Victor. So I think that yes, there is a little bit of a of a fakery there that we can sort of unveil once we see how he reacts, you know, once he gets in touch with Jesse. But there's no guarantee that he gets in touch with Jesse. It's not as if he set that plan up before. So I think that yes, he's buying himself time, but I do think that there's a level of I'm going to be killed by these people. You know, so I, I I do think that it's possible that we're we are seeing a 
real human moment from Walt at that point that he is scared to die in that in that moment. Now, I think that changes quickly once he gets in touch with Jesse and we clearly hear that. But before he's able to pick up his phone, I do think that there's a level of I'm actually scared that I'm not going to have the opportunity to do what I what I wanted to do here, which is take out Gale and ultimately will then die. And I didn't get to say goodbye to my family. I mean, in the scene immediately preceding, you know, Victor picking him up, he's sitting on the couch holding his child. I mean, like to not have that moment to be able to say goodbye if he knew that it was the end. That's that's tough. And I think that 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 sort of transcends the potential evilness that that we're seeing from Walt here. Is that off base, do you think? No, I don't I don't think so necessarily. Uh, I will say that like the presence of evil and the presence of fear are not mutually exclusive, right? So you can have an evil person who's genuinely afraid. Um, but I, you know, he he told Jesse, go kill Gail, you'll have a 20 minute head start. So I'm guessing that he had a 20 minute ish drive out to the laundromat. I don't think this plan was all of a sudden hatched when he's standing in front of the, the stairs, right? I think yeah, that that's fair. He probably got out at the laundromat like having having this plan in his head now that plan might have arisen from genuine fear and i don't doubt that at all uh but you know i i I think the the point can still remain that that walt's an evil guy and he's carrying out an evil plan yeah i think the the second point that you made about you know this is sort of walt's instruction uh, to go do this and then jesse is sort of the unfortunate you know recipient of the the order essentially uh is is a point well taken and i think that Although I don't think that it diminishes sort of the, and I don't think you meant this that way, but I don't think it diminishes the mental impact that it's going to have on Jesse or sort of like the moral impact. He still has to be, yes, he is the trigger man, but he still has to make the appropriate steps to go to the apartment, to knock on the door, to pull the gun out, to pull the trigger. And I think that that, you know, it takes a, takes a something, it's basically going to change him forever i think at this point and i think regardless of whether walt gives him that order or not or he chooses to go do it himself like i think that it's going to change him no matter what yeah i think that's absolutely right we are almost out of time here josh so let's go to our um our best writing nomination because we both have the same one i think it's really good i think the best thing to do is for us just to play the audio here and then we'll talk about it that's what we do You know what we do. There's got to be some other way. Maybe it's better for you to just go to the cops. All right? I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that at all, but for your family, the DEA would love you. All the shit you could tell them, federal witness protection, that's a good deal. As for me, I'll, I'll hit the road, yo, I mean, I'll make it. We had a, we had a good run, but it's over. Never the DEA. The cook can't stop. It's the one thing I'm certain of. Production cannot stop. Gus can afford to. So if I'm the only chemist that he's got, then I've got leverage. And leverage keeps me alive. It keeps you alive, too. I think I can see to that. 
So there are a number of reasons why I like this, but this in the, in the interest of time, Josh, I'll point out number one, uh, you heard the kind of arcade noises there. They're in the laser tag place, <laughs> the same laser tag place that a couple of weeks ago we talked about Saul um, wanting uh, wanting them to buy so they could launder money through. Um, I think Saul just wants a free laser tag place for him <laughs> think, to go to. I think, I think he just wants to be right. able to go there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he goes off to have to let them have this conversation. He's probably doing some laser tag himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, he says I, he's I, going I, to find a Tetris machine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like how um, this is kind of like a father son interaction here. Right. And where else but a laser tag place to, to show this this uh, relationship that they have. Um, I also think it's interesting that jesse is trying to convince walt to just give it all up he's like you know we're, this is the end of the road uh it was a good run but go to the dea and walt's pride won't let him do that so his response is basically never the dea and then he says the cook can't stop he goes on past the sound clip i played to basically say that you know um gus can't afford it and and that's why walt has leverage but i think the fundamental idea is, you know, Walt says, like, never the DEA, the cook can't stop because Walt doesn't want the cook to stop. Walt wants the money to keep coming in. He wants to keep pursuing this thing that he's sent up, set up. Uh, and that's what that's what matters to him. So that, that's what I'll say about this scene, Josh. But what did you uh, select this for? Yeah, the cook can't stop the hit single from from the from the meth cookers. Oh, I yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think that the reason that I like this scene is because yes, it is a father-son conversation, but it's almost a role reversal because Jesse is the rational level-headed person here. I mean, he's making a lot of sense. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. This is the moment that I was talking about. This is Jesse thinking clearly, thinking, you know, like they've got to give it up. He will try to run. Walt will give them the information that they have. And yet Going back to your idea, like, is Walt a bad person who just had the opportunity to continue going down the this bad path? Or is he a good person who, you know, slips into evil and just continues down that path? You know, I think there's more more evidence, the fact that maybe he's been bad all along. I mean, I, I unless you can make the argument that he's he was I, I just I I I mean, I can't even convince myself. It seems hard to make the argument that he was a good person at some point because you would think that if there was any good at all left in him, he would take a step back and say, I can't murder someone in cold blood to save my life. There are other options. I can turn myself in. I can, you know, basically, you know, offer my knowledge and information and pretty much get off scot-free probably. And yet he doesn't want to choose that. And it's just, you know, it's more evidence to the fact that maybe he's been bad all along. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's especially hard to think that he has not been when you see him contrast with the character of Jesse, who clearly right. is conflicted in a genuine way. Right, exactly. All right, well, that's all we've got before our nits to pick, Josh. So what do you have on nits for this episode? I just have one nit to pick. It's a scene we didn't talk about. It's the very opening of the episode. I'm not exactly sure why this was in the episode, but they they flash back to Walt and Skylar buying their their home that we know them to live in, and it's clearly before Walt Jr. was born. Skylar's pregnant. My only nit to pick in the scene is, you know, it shows them both younger. For some reason, Skylar has brown hair, and I don't see she doesn't look like she dyes her hair in the present day. So I'm not sure how her hair went from brown. It's to hundred percent dyed. You think you think in present day it's dyed? Like no, she, no, then it was dyed. Yeah, okay. So maybe yeah. she used to be. She was always blonde, but she dyed it brown. It was it was very strange. I don't like when when they try to do things like that to make someone de-aged. You know, like they're she could still have blonde longer hair. 
but instead they like made her hair really long, curly, and brown. And I was like, okay, that's a little cheesy. I mean, I'm pretty sure for that scene she was wearing a wig, right? Probably. I'm almost sure. Yeah. Although it I do think like Brian Cranston shaved his, you know, yes. goatee because they probably filmed this after. I yep. think he was wearing a wig on his head, but yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I really understand that scene. I, I, I don't know why so, we saw that. And maybe it's to remind us that, oh, they once had a relationship where they cared about each other. I think it's part of it, but that's not really a central motif in the episode. I think what's interesting to me is that um, what's happening there is Walt is wanting more. And so Skyler loves the house and is very content with it. Three bedrooms, nice backyard, pool in the back, et cetera. Walt's comments are strange uh, because he like complains about the size of the backyard. It's not big enough. And then he complains about the lack of bedrooms. Um, and so I think that's an interesting little insight on him there because you know this is before they even have one child and he's already saying like we need more bedrooms um so again you know the cook can't stop right i think it shows like maybe his selfishness his desire for more and more acquisitions so even more i think this supports our thesis that walt was not a good guy to begin with yeah uh yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that scene because that's where my knit to pick comes in as well and that's very simply i mean you've house hunted with your wife i've house hunted with my wife we are homeowners both of us uh, and, uh, you know, we, we never, ever, ever went into even one showing of a house, um, totally at odds on how many bedrooms we wanted <laughs> the house to have, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, this is something we talked about before. We're like, this is how many kids we have. This is how many kids we could have in, you know, five years, whatever, if that's our horizon, this is how many bedrooms we want, period. And we could, we could have as, as few as this many, right? That's our bare minimum, but this is, this is, you know, what we're looking for. Well, they walk in there. They're like this, you know, Skylar's seen it before. Uh, it looks like they're, you know, potentially like thinking about putting an offer in and they're total, they, they haven't had the conversation about how many bedrooms they want their house to have before this moment. I was like, well, this is a completely unrealistic, but anyway. Yeah. I also think like the real estate agent just walks out of the house at the beginning. I'm like, yeah, I, he might not follow them around, but I think he would stay in the house. He's like, I'll leave you guys alone. And then he just walks out the front yeah. door. Who knows where he goes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was pretty funny too. Um, all right. Well, that's all I had, Josh. Anything else? That's all for me. I think the only thing left is our MVP. Let's do it. Lots of uh, potential candidates here, but I think I'm guessing it's going to come down to one of two people. So who is your MVP vote for this episode? Yeah, I, there are a lot of choices. I think there's, there's one clear choice and that's Jesse. I think that he does not have a ton of screen time. I mean, he's, he's almost missing from the first 30 minutes of the show of, of this episode in particular, because he's quote unquote in hiding. But just the fact that he provides a rational argument to Walt, which ultimately gets dismissed. But then that scene at the end, just so powerful and, and such a character moment, such a character turn that I think it can't be overlooked. So he's my pick for MVP. It's a good guess. Also, I mean, a good, good. Ph- phenomenal, phenomenal acting yeah. as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Great nomination. Um, I am going to disagree with you, though. Uh, I mean, I think that everything you said is factually correct and f- phenomenal acting. Uh, but as I've mentioned before, you know, it's not it's not just an acting award. If it were hands down, this goes to Aaron Paul playing Jesse Pinkman. I'm going to give it to Walt here. He's he's the other potential choice, I think. And the reason I go with Walt is um, is twofold. One. Even in the pivotal moment that you talked about, I totally agree. It's, it's an absolute inflection point. It's a pivotal moment for the character of Jesse Pinkman when he shoots Gale there. Even that scene is set up by Walt. 
Uh, just in the same way that, you know, Walt was supposed to kill Crazy Eight because they agreed on that and then Walt could never follow through. Uh, Walt was also supposed to kill Gail. Jesse was supposed to get the address and Walt was supposed to kill him. But Walt is, what, what does Walt do? And not totally his fault, but he puts, this, puts the onus back on Jesse and Jesse's only there because of Walt. So in that sense, Walt's the character who's making that happen. But the second thing is, is you know, due to some of the scenes and writing that we talked about in the show, I think we see more character development from Walt here. Now, it's true that we see the inflection point for Jesse, but that is like the natural terminus of the character development that we've seen for Jesse kind of over the past couple episodes. Whereas in Walt, we get some, we get a better glimpse, I think, of the, the character development going, in, going on inside Walt through that conversation with Jesse at the laser tag, through the laundromat conversation, et cetera. And we see a, we see a closer glimpse of what Heisenberg is up to and who Heisenberg is. Um, as Walter White. So my vote is Walt. Uh, and I think that's actually fitting, Josh, because looking at the MVP tally here at the conclusion of season three, we have Jesse and Walt in a uh, in a dead heat. 15 MVP votes apiece. Skyler's in third place with 11. We've got a couple tied, Tuco and Saul Goodman at four. I think Tuco is not going to get any more, so we can, <laughs> we can safely yeah. assume that Saul will probably eclipse him at some point. Uh, and then Jane and Hank each at three. And then we've got a smattering of folks at two. Poor Crazy eight. He'll stay at two forever. Gus, Marie, Gail, and Mike also at two. And then, of course, the fly with one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, leading up the rear, as always, your favorite, Walter Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast. All right. Went a little bit longer than we hoped, Josh, but there was a lot to talk about in this season. I think it's a fitting end to, uh, or in this episode, I think it's a fitting end to the season. And we'll be back next week to talk about season four, episode one, Box Cutter. Uh, some serious stuff goes on there as well. So make sure to check that out before you listen to the episode of Breaking Pod next week. Josh, what else did we miss? Two things I want to point out. So just a fun fact for our audience. When an actor submits themselves for awards, they submit a single episode for consideration. This was the episode that Brian Cranston submitted for the Emmys that year, and he did win his Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor for his performance in this episode. So good on you for picking that as your MVP. It matches up pretty pretty uh, nicely there. Jesse, Aaron Paul, selected Half Measures, the previous episode. He also won an Emmy that season. Uh, so that was his episode. And I did also want to point out, we talked briefly a couple weeks ago about the Ringers, the Ringers ratings of the Breaking Bad episodes. Full Measure is the second best episode of the entire series according to the ringer ranking i think we both agree it's pretty good it's definitely up there yeah absolutely agree and it's a great way to cap off uh season three and uh, that's right i'm pretty excited about breaking pod and where we're going next on this so tune in next week for season four episode one box cutter until then let us know what we missed what we could do better breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com i'm zach and i'm josh have a great week